focus again on the Lord's Prayer, the model way of praying that Jesus offers to us. Uh, and we'll read from Matthew chapter 6, beginning verse 9. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Our focus verse this morning again is verse 13. And it reads, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We uh, began last week, our last time together, we saw why temptation is part of our spiritual lives. And uh, what God is doing in it, and uh, that part of our prayer is, is inviting us to pray to God for strength and wisdom so that we will not fall into temptation. That's the desire of God. And you see, that which calls to you, that which would call your heart away from God, that's what we're talking about. That's the temptation of life. May it not take root in your life, may it not overwhelm you, and may it not pull your heart away from Jesus. So that, that's what we focused on, were some of the big concepts of why temptation is even a thing. Today, I would like us to dig a little deeper and to examine three remedies excuse me, three remedies for three common spheres of temptation. Three remedies for three common spheres of temptation. We will be focusing our time today in 1 John chapter 2 and beginning in verse 15 to 17. Here's what the Bible says. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. So, you can see here part of uh, these three realms of temptation that we're going to be looking at today, and the three remedies for those uh, that the Scripture gives us. Uh, the way John, in his letter, describes the world, we're not talking about geology and, and the rocks of the planet, or, or that that which God has created is not good, although it is marred because of sin as well. But we're talking about what John is talking about when he uh, talks about the world, is he's talking about the attitudes and, and uh, the values of the fallen world, that which is opposed to the rule of God, to the reign of God in the world, and in your own heart and life. And uh, so what he's saying is that if you choose the values, if you choose the, the attitudes of the world instead of choosing to follow the will of God, that is what puts you in a position where you're not loving God. And it's pretty stark contrast, because you can be in and love the world, or you can be in and love God. There's no real middle ground that the Scripture gives for us. As we understand the, the idea in front of us and, and the pathway uh, by which the fork goes and, and how we choose the pathway, now that we're able to understand and to see that, we're able to join with Joshua, who at the end of the book of Joshua says and encourages the people to choose this day whom you will serve. As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. 
Three remedies for three common temptation fears. Remedy number one is living a life of integrity. I'm thankful for Rick Warren. He shared these uh, uh, simple expressions at the recent Thrive Online Conference. Uh, and integrity is the first remedy to the three spheres of temptation that we'll focus on today. Uh, looking in the dictionary, the Oxford Dictionary describes and defines, rather, uh, integrity in this way. You know what integrity is, but let's hear what the Oxford Dictionary has to say to set our mind on this great word. Number one, integrity is the quality of being honest and having a strong moral principles. Uh, number two is the state of being whole and undivided. A common person's definition of integrity, one that maybe you've heard before, I really like it, is what it is that you do when no one is looking. Right? That, that, that really reflects uh, what integrity you have deep in your heart, what sort of principles that you really live your life by, that you're the same person in front of people uh, and out of any earshot, eyeshot of anybody around you. Integrity, you see, is the remedy for the cravings of sinful man. That's the way the New International Version uh, uh, translates this passage. This verse is the cravings of sinful man. You see, John uh, lists out three different spheres of uh, temptation. One of them is the cravings of sinful man. The ESV version translates it this way. It's the desires of the flesh. Those are words I grew up hearing in the scripture. Uh, the New Living Translation uh, translates it this way. That the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure. Now, let's... Look at that word craving or desire. I don't know what your Bible translation, how it defines the word there. But uh, the word desire in the Bible, this word particularly, uh, can be used to refer to something positive. It, it's referred when people have a desire to see again others that they've been distanced from. They've been traveling and they've been far away. And uh, Letters would be written saying, I long to see you. I, I desire to see you again. Uh, wait, I wonder how many of you have a desire to see other people. We know what that sort of longing and desire is. It's good and, and healthy. And sometimes the, the Bible uses this word desire or longing or craving in a positive sense. But more often, the word desire, this word used in the Bible, refers to that which is harmful to people. That which uh, distracts and distorts us in our ability to relate to God. Some cravings are healthy. We have cravings for food, and that, that's a healthy craving because it keeps us from starving. Uh, we have a craving uh, for work sometimes, and that's a healthy craving that God's put in us. We have a need for sleep and a desire to sleep at times when we grow tired, and that's a healthy, good craving. But we do know that in, in any natural, good, blessed by God craving of life, they can often and, and easily find that it's excess and overflow where it becomes not healthy. And not good. The, the craving to for hunger can become gluttony. The craving for work can turn into workaholism, and it begins to distort our priorities and our relationships. The craving for sleep can turn uh, one into slothful activity. So even the good cravings, if not if not well managed and focused, can become a source of temptation and evil for us as well. But not every impulse, the Bible is warning us, not every impulse and not every craving that wells up within you is good or healthy or right. And 
And so uh, we learn to discern what these things are by learning what the Scripture has to say, how God would teach us out of the Bible. We're going to come back to that point a little bit later as we examine how Jesus overcame his temptation. But not every impulse and not every craving of your life, not every longing in your heart is healthy or good or right. And you only know that by living your life in the presence of the Lord Jesus and allowing His Holy Spirit to speak over your life and by getting yourself into the Scripture and getting the Scripture into your life so that you begin to live it out. Because not every desire pleases God and not every desire provides for you the full life that Jesus offers to you. As he describes in John chapter 10. We're familiar, aren't we, with the life cycle? We know the life cycle of animals and humans from, from birth to <clears throat> uh, uh, up through adolescence into adult life. And uh, we know the life cycle of plants from, from a seed, and the seed begins to uh, uh, shed its uh, seed coat, and roots go down, and the stalk pushes up, and eventually that plant uh, grows uh, flat. Uh, leaves and then uh, eventually a blossom and then some sort of fruit often forms or seeds so that they can reproduce. We know what the life cycle is, but I wonder how many of us are familiar with the death cycle. Do you know what the death cycle is? The Bible gives us some hint about it. It actually describes it very vividly for us. The Bible tells us that when temptation is conceived and when temptation grows inside of us, it produces sin and ultimately death. In the book of James, uh, James tells us, uh, gives us this great descriptive uh, understanding of the death cycle of temptation and the sin to which it leads. Here's what James says. When you're tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when... By his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. This is what I call the death cycle. It's the consequence of falling into temptation. Uh, it's what uh, the writer of 1 John tells us is the, the sinful inclination the cravings of the flesh in this regard. You see, integrity is one remedy against temptation. Is your life consistent, whether you're by yourself or in front of one or two other people or in front of hundreds, thousands, maybe millions of other people? Is your life consistently the same in the choices, the attitudes, and the behaviors of your life? Integrity says that with Jesus' strength, I will be undivided in my heart. I will be undivided in the focus of my life. Ladies, God desires you to stand in integrity. God, uh, He wants you to ask Him for integrity in your workplace, in your office, or in your school, or classroom, or in front of a cash register, wherever your workplace might lead you. God wants you to walk in integrity before Him, in your home, to walk in integrity before Him, in your private moments, in your speech, to walk in integrity with Him. Men, God wants you to walk in integrity with Him, to have your feet planted 
in Jesus so that integrity flows from you like a fountain in your dealings financially. God wants you men to be men of integrity. He wants you, when you open up your computer and the privacy of your own life, He wants you to have integrity about the places you go and the things that you purposely look at. He wants you to have integrity. He wants men to be, and fathers, to have integrity in the way that you guide and parent your children. God desires integrity, and integrity is one of the great remedies that helps prevent us from falling into temptation. A second, and we're going to kind of pick up the pace here, a little, little momentum here. The second remedy for temptation is humility. To, to take on the life of humility, the, the reality of Jesus emulating his humility. When I think of, of humble people, there's a lot of people that come to mind, but there's always one life, when I think of humility, that always emerges to the very top, and that's the life of Jesus. The life of great humility, the one who had great strength, and great resources, and great power at his disposal, yet chose the life of humility in order to demonstrate that life of meekness. Not weakness, but meekness and humility before others. The Bible uh, <clears throat> describes this part of 1 John chapter 2 as uh, part of that in the world that tempts us away from God is the lust of the eyes, is how the NIV translates it. The ESV translates it, the desires of of your eyes. The New Living Translation says it this way, a craving for everything that we see. So I'm trying to give you some, some different ways that these, these words are understood by the different Bible translators. You see, we as humans, the Bible is telling us, we have a tendency to be captivated by surface level things, often without looking deeper into the depths of what they are and what they represent and where they lead us. And that, that is our human tendency. In fact, back to the, the book of James, chapter 4. James says this. He says, what causes quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because... You ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? You see, James points uh, in this topic to something very important about what the lust of the eyes is. It's not just sexual temptation that John has in mind. It's about that which leads the heart to covetousness. Covetousness, that which is mentioned in the Ten Commandments, that you shall not covet that which belongs to somebody else. Uh, and so part of humility and, and fostering the humility of Jesus in your life becomes a remedy, a remedy against coveting. Covetousness, you see, is totally contrary to the blessings, part of the blessings that Jesus desires for your life. You know what Jesus wants to do in your life? He wants to bless you with contentment. He wants to bless you with learning how to be content with the things that you have. And not always looking at your life with a, a viewpoint of scarcity. Not always longing for something more or better or different or even worse, longing for the things that someone else has. That's what coveting is all about. And that's contrary to the way Jesus 
in our lives. So humility allows us to live in a posture and a reality and an attitude of contentment. The Apostle Paul teaches us about that in the book of Philippians. There's another blessing that Jesus wants to give to you, and it's this. It's so important in your relationships with other people. It is being able to enter into the joy of other people's blessings. You see, when people around you are blessed with a job or even other possessions, whatever it might be, part of the gift of walking in humility is the gift of Jesus to allow you to rejoice when others are rejoicing, to rejoice when others are blessed, to rejoice when others find success. But more often than not, I'm afraid, we find ourselves troubled at other people's success. We find ourselves disturbed because we don't understand why they have had success and we have not. We don't understand why the thing I want so desperately someone else has received and not me. And so we are, we are prevented from entering into the joy and rejoicing with them at that which they've received. I think in part at least because there's a lack of humility in our life. So God would invite you to develop humility. So that the lust of the eyes, the desires of your eyes, this covetousness would not take root in you and overwhelm your life. You see, humility is not, <clears throat> is not thinking less of myself, it's thinking about myself less. You see the difference? It's not about thinking that you're small or insignificant, it's just thinking less about yourself, thinking about yourself less. Does that make sense? Uh, it's not, not thinking you're small or, or anything else, because God wants to lift you up, but he lifts up the humble, right? Humble yourself before the Lord, and in his time, he will lift you up, the scriptures tell us. Humility is recognizing the impact of advertising in our lives and being able to tell myself no more regularly. That's part of humility. Humility is choosing a life of thankfulness and joy. Choosing a life of thankfulness and joy before the Lord. Our third and final remedy for the spheres of temptation, the, the major spheres of temptation in life, is this. It's generosity. Generosity, generosity is the remedy for how the NIV says the boasting of what one has and does. Uh, the ESV says it is the pride of life that is the temptation that besets us. Pride in our achievements and possessions is another way it's translated. Generosity, you see, in living in a lifestyle of generosity helps counteract the temptations that this sort of pride leads us into falling into. You see, pride can be a close companion of our accomplishments and our possessions. Have you ever thought about that? Pride can be a close companion to your accomplishments and your possessions. The type, I'm not talking about the type of pride and, and being satisfied in a job well done, or the type of pride that, that comes with the accomplishment of a degree program or, or achieving something, and just getting to the finish line. There's a certain level of pride that is good, I think, in the Bible blesses. We're talking about the pride that continually wants to promote yourself and, and to be praised for that. But the sort of pride that, that wells up within a person and craves recognition from other people. So the type of pride that makes our hearts say things like this. I am valuable because of my valuables. Or I am admirable because of my abilities. Or I am acceptable because of my accomplishments. Or I crave... In fact, 
sometimes I feel like I deserve that others recognize just how well I've done. You see, this is the pride of life. This is boasting about what I have and what I have done. And it is a fatal trap for so many in our world today. Allergic for fame and recognition. And so we chase after the approval of others in an unhealthy way. Do you know who needs generosity more than churches need it or charities need it or the cause that you particularly are fond of need? Do you know who needs to give generously more than those organizations need to receive? Do you know who it is? You do. I do. We, we need to learn generosity because it is the great gift of God as a remedy against this sort of craving and chasing uh, and it, it's so helpful. You see, when humility now and generosity come and blend together, when they're combined, they, they allow us to give, to give in secrecy. It allows us to be generous with our time and money and, and to be able to have joy in our giving because I'm giving to God in order to participate in His kingdom on earth. What about you this morning? You know, how, how, do we, how do we adopt these things in our life? This integrity and humility and generosity. Well, part of it is by looking, of course, at the life of Jesus and, and, and tracking how he lived his life and, and the things he taught us and his power and presence in you now. One of the great ways is looking at the way he interfaced and interacted with temptation. Matthew chapter 4 is a great place to start. And looking at the way Jesus interacted when Satan came to tempt him, uh, the way that, that Jesus stood up in the face of that temptation, because Jesus never fell into temptation, even though the Bible says he was tempted in every way that you and I are, yet he was never one who fell into that temptation and sinned. So, there are two real keys that guided Jesus in, in Matthew chapter 4 in his temptation. Here's what we are. Are you ready? Number one is that he had a singular focus on doing the will of the Father. He had a singular focus on doing the will of the Father. Over and above, getting into the things of the world. Number two is scripture. Jesus had a good understanding of scripture. Uh, and he was able, in the face of temptation, to quote scripture, to read scripture, because scripture gave him perspective. It gave him a, a groundedness in the face of temptation that helped him not be swayed when the winds were blowing. He was not going to get swept up and carried along by any wind of thought that came along because his life was grounded in Scripture and in a singular focus for the will of the Father. You see, the world and things of the world, they are going to pass away. The Bible tells us that where we live and what we're doing today is not enduring forever. They have, they have an expiration date. You know, education systems, they change, don't they? And economies around the world, they rise and they fall. Governments, they pass away. You know, we study historical kingdoms and empires even, but rarely do we take time to consider that our own country one day will expire. That's not God's primary focus. His primary focus is in building His kingdom on earth and preparing us for His forever kingdom that is to come. You see, all the world will fade away, but not with God. God and His kingdom endures forever. It's the inheritance that He's promised for those who have received his forgiveness and walk in his holiness, walking in prayer like we're studying in Matthew 6, 
that Jesus would help lead us not into temptation. Oh Lord, help us to not fall into temptation. But here's the even better news. Not only does Jesus give us wisdom and strength in the face of temptation, but you know what? When you fall into temptation, God does not wash His hands with you and send you away. Because God wants to forgive you. He wants you to confess that sin. He wants you to be real and honest with your own life and your own particular issues. And He wants you to confess that to Him so that you can be cleansed and made new again. That, that is what He desires. Even today, even if there's a particular sin that, that you have fallen into, Jesus wants to forgive that sin. And He's calling to you to do that. And He asks you to confess that sin, to say, I, I agree, Lord, that I've fallen into this, and I need your forgiveness, and I need your strength to, to rise above and to move beyond this. This is what God desires in your life today. It's what Jesus died on the cross to do, is to forgive your sin and to provide a hope for a future as He would lead you now. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank You for this reminder that You uh, desire to strengthen and provide wisdom in the face of temptation. We pray that You would give us the integrity and the humility and the generosity that we so desperately need that they might be remedies for us in the face of life's great temptations. And even if, God, we find ourselves today Suffering the consequences for the guilt or the shame of falling into temptation and sin that results that has been given birth in my life. We know, God, that you're a God of forgiveness and compassion, but we need to take a step in confessing that to you, turning from it, repenting of it, and walking away from it, leaving it at the foot of the cross so that you can do what you want to do of cleansing in our lives. And we ask today that you would help us do that now. In Jesus' name.